Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your lawn and garden in shape. We do it right, too, with deals to help you save every day, like four bags of premium mulch now for just $10. And buy one one-and-a-half-cubic-foot bag of miracle Grow vegetable and herb garden soil. Get a Bonnie Basics plant for free. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 5-1 while supplies last. Bonnie offer valid on select 11.8-ounce pots. Valid in-store only. See store for details. U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. That work in the gym. Nice bringing that intelligent perspective that takes you above the rim. From the PG, saw the whole court. Now he plays the sideline to observe and report. Bringing nothing but fresh interviews while discussing high school, college, and NBA news. So sit back and listen, you will never forget. Because the Off the Glass podcast is coming up next. So sit back and listen, you will never forget. Because the Off the Glass podcast is coming up next. So sit back and listen, you will never forget. Because the Off the Glass podcast is coming up next. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Off the Glass Podcast. This is your host Z, fan of no team, but a lover of basketball. Thanks for joining me today. I'm excited. I got a special guest today. His name is Quentin Alberti. He writes for Cavs Nation Net, which you can follow his work at Clutch Points. He writes for the Celtics Wire, which is on USA Today. And also, if you want to check out some of his pieces, he has a lot of work over on wakelet.com. His home base is Akron, Ohio, so I had to get him on to talk this Tyron Lue, this Cavs Futures thing, and also weigh in a little bit on the Celtics' early start. So how we doing today out there, Quentin? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm chilling, bro. I'm chilling, man. So it's been a lot of, you know, a lot of news going on. Uh, we had to postpone the interview a little bit because the Celtics decided to go ahead and extend Tatum and Brown. So um, just your thoughts on that going forward. I mean, I think it had something that obviously had to be done, but... What do you think this means for the Celtics long term? Well, yeah, like you said, it, it is something that the Celtics, uh, it, was, it was more or less just, just writing on a wall already, given the, the, the promise and production of both Brown and Tatum. But uh, what I really feel that means is uh, that no matter what, because the Celtics want to want to be something like the Golden State Warriors, and they want to be able to build organically okay. and, and be a dynasty team. And Tatum and Brown are, you know, obviously pieces of, of that puzzle because they were both selected third overall in back-to-back drafts uh, by the Celtics. And while, you know, Tatum had a way, way better rookie season than Brown, Brown has actually started coming along nicely within his second. And even, even his third season, even though he got to a, a rocky start, because he's, um, he's focusing on, like a lot of players don't necessarily focus on their weaknesses uh, as much as Brown does. Like uh, some players might choose to focus on, on you know, their strengths. Mm-hmm. So a, a guy coming to the league as a great three-point shooter, he, he's just going to try to make his name as that three-point shooter and maybe try to grow his, the, the rest of his game. But, you know, basically essentially just be that three-point special his whole career. Like Brown came into the league as a, um, you know, as a slasher, really. But he's been working with T-Mac. And uh, well, for those who don't know, T-Mac is Trace McGrady, a Hall of Fame shooting guard. Right. Played for the Rockets for a long time. But, um, yeah, so he's been working with T-Mac, and he and T-Mac was one of the best playmaking guards of his time, so he's been working on his passing, his ball handling, and basically all the things that were weaknesses coming into uh, the draft uh, when he was leaving Cal Berkeley. So uh, as far as what the Celtics are doing and extending uh, Tatum and Brown, they're definitely just trying to be like the Warriors, and they already have two all-star talents or three all-star talents uh, in Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, and, and Gordon Hayward, and uh while while Hayward is locked up for a long time, or long term, I mean, 
Irving and uh, Horford have expressed wanting to like spend the rest of their careers in Boston. So right. it seems like they can have what they want uh, in terms of the subjects, you know, uh, building a, a team that can compete with the, the Warriors for a number of years. So, yeah, uh, today was just the, the kind of something that was step forward. Yeah, yeah like a, a foregone conclusion. It was a step forward in the process. It's funny you brought up the, the Kyrie one to stay long term um, from somebody that's obviously watching from afar. Don't necessarily have all the insight that you may have. But I thought it was kind of interesting and not really characteristic of what we've seen by Kyrie of uh, planning his moves when he came out at fan night and announced that. Uh, I think it was a combination of maybe getting maybe he really does. I'm not saying he doesn't, but getting kind of caught up in the moment. And with Tatum development moving so fast, I don't think it's necessarily a far gone conclusion. I had put in a piece that I wrote that, I mean, if you're ultimately trying to get Anthony Davis, I mean, we're not going to hide that. That's been rumored out there. Yeah. Um, are we necessarily throwing Tatum and Brown in that? Could it be a combination of maybe a sign and trade with Irving and Brown maybe going to New Orleans or something? Because what made me think about this is I know you saw at the Knicks game at the Garden where mm-hmm. Tatum closed them out. He scored the last six points. He had the dunk. And then even before the dream shake fadeaway, I noticed how Kyrie was coming to get the ball. And the play kind of developed where I'm not saying it was necessarily like, no, nah, we're going to ignore Kyrie and get to Tatum, but the ball found his way to Tatum. Like he really demanded it on the post and was able mm-hmm. to hit the fadeaway. And then he closed out the free throws. And I was like, wow, okay, that's his superstar yeah. moment right there. And I'm looking at yeah. it like Kyrie kind of came out and said that. And I don't think he believe, you know, does not believe that. But I'm like, wow, is it a far gone conclusion that we're just going to package Tatum up? And, you know, so I kind of wanted to ask you, what did you think about that? Because that's kind of what went through my mind as this season um, plays out. Um, As far as Anthony Davis, uh, yeah, he's definitely been a target of the Celtics and probably, you know, a host of other teams for for a pretty long time. Right. But, um, and uh, the Boston Celtics would appeal to Anthony Davis because what he wants at this point in his career is to to win at the highest level. You know, he, I don't believe he's, He's used to winning. I, you know, what I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't believe he's used to losing right. uh, as much as he has with the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, uh, I mean, he, they've been doing better this year and the last year when they had DeMarcus Cousins, but but before then, he had a few uh, rough years when he first got into the league. So I know he wants to win, wants to reach the playoffs, and wants to advance in the playoffs. Things that he hasn't been able to do as much as he wanted to in his career thus far. And he's one of the uh, a lot of people would say he's one of the, the the best five players in the league. You know, yep. And for players of that caliber. Uh, they definitely want to to at least have a chance to win a championship. So that's something that the like the Celtics have over a lot of other teams. And so when people talk about Anthony Davis going to the Celtics versus like a, uh, I really can't even think of another. Uh, maybe the the Los Angeles Lakers, for instance. Yeah. So the Celtics versus the Lakers. The Lakers don't really have an actual championship contending team just yet. They're they're. Their team that has the pieces, but not you know you know what I mean. Yeah, the, and the pieces still have to develop. That was even a lazy a lazy take in my opinion because I'm one of those people who just really bigs up what LeBron has done off the court. Like, and I'm not just talking about the school, but far as empowering his friends and creating an, a business model and organization that we've never seen before. And the fact they act like yeah. Rich Paul is this puppet or something, like he's not running a legit. Agency, yeah. I, I, yeah. I get, I feel insulted for him, and to just think that now because he signs with Rich Paul, 
that he's just going to gift wrap him to the Lakers. I just don't believe that's how that works. Now, does that help? Of course. But I don't think it's just an automatic, like, LeBron is just pulling the strings. Uh, so yeah. I, I think that's such a lazy take. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I, I, you know, I understand people want to connect the dots. And, of course, you know, L.A. is trying to attract at least one more superstar to their group, uh, whether that be Anthony Davis or Kevin Durant or, or whoever uh, you. But at the end of the day, just like you said, uh, LeBron empowers his friends, yes. But his friends run, like Rich Paul, for instance, runs Maverick Carter, Rich Paul. They run legitimate businesses uh, of their own. They don't, try to, they don't try to get in each other's shine like that. Right. So, um, but with Boston, noticed- not not getting too far off track, but with Boston, yeah. though, I mean, again, am I crazy for thinking that Kyrie, because that's, that's one thing that Ainge has done there and his staff that's so brilliant. They have so many options. And I mean, oh, you yes, can, you can yes, stay pat with it. You can stay pat with this team. I'm not saying that, but, you know, I just thought everybody thought, well, okay, we're just package Rozier, Brown, Tatum, even smart to make it work or how we got to do this. And then we'll yeah. get Anthony Davis and this, that. And I was just kind of like, hold on. I don't think that's necessarily the case. One thing I'll definitely say is that as far as uh, players that have will have the salary to match Anthony Davis's and, you know, the talent level, Kyrie is definitely, if they had to do, if they had to do a sign and trade, uh, Kyrie Irving will definitely be a name to look out for. Okay. Now, I don't know whether or not Kyrie Irving will want to play in New Orleans for the long term. Uh, he hasn't, you know, expressed anything positive or negative about New Orleans, so I right. really couldn't say anything on that. But uh, uh, as far as when we were talking about whether or not he really, uh, you know, how it was uncharacteristic for him to come out and, and commit long term to the Celtics, uh, you know, uh, within doing my research over Kyrie, uh, you know, his his parents met at Boston, uh, Boston University when uh, they both played sports right. there. I forgot about uh, that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. His father played basketball. His mother played uh, volleyball, I believe. And um, so, you know, he feels, uh, you know, his mother passed away when he was young and he, he right. feels a, a deep connection to his mother even still. So I, I do have a sense that him being in Boston where his parents met and, and you know, he like people bring up his connection to New York, but he has similar connections to Boston. So I feel like he really does feel connected to Boston in terms of family. And of course, because they're, you know, they're, they're one of the most illustrious franchises in, in NBA history, if not the most. Right. And uh and I was like, it'd be like for anybody, like, you know, uh, one of us writers getting a chance to join ESPN. It'd be like a dream from true. Right. So I understand exactly, you know, why he would want to stay with uh, the Celtics for a long term. Now, whether or not he actually pulls through in the community, because like you said, it could have just been a thing he, he was saying in the moment because he's feeling all this hype about, you know, they're, they're a championship within the team and he's seeing how great they can be. It could be an in the moment thing. He could, the year could play out. And he could find that he's not really satisfied with his role. For instance, before he scored 31 points um, in his last game, he scored three points in a game before then. Right. And three points in 25 minutes. And that was the lowest uh, point total he ever had scored in 25 minutes or more. So it's obvious that, you know, he's not being ever, he's not given the same responsibility and same role that he had last year or any other year. Uh, I would even say that he's probably had more responsibility in his rookie year than he has this year. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that was what I was trying to say, too, coming into the season, that um, I'm high on Brad Stevens. You know, you hear a lot of things, but I thought this was going to be his biggest challenge because indirectly, it was a great thing and a bad thing from this standpoint. You know, you have you lose Haywood early, you lose Kyrie late. So you have Brown and Tatum that gets valuable minutes, confidence. They get the play. Rozier, the same way, was very successful, all three of them in the playoffs. And now it's like, 
they looked like they were just two weeks out of the West Eastern Conference Finals opening night. And then Kyrie yeah. and Wifely So Haywood looked rusty. So now it was like, okay, we can't expect the young guys to the next necessarily take their foot off the accelerator and take a step back. But we also got to incorporate proven all-stars and all NBA performers and Kyrie, you know, hit the big shot for Cleveland and all that. So these are not slouch players, but it was kind of how, how we're going to jail and mix this all together. And you paid mm -hmm. uh, Marcus Smart. You still had Morris. Um, I mean, you had Daniel Tice. I mean, you have all these. They have a really good, you know, roster over there. So the question yeah, is going to be, how do you, um, how do you, uh, how do you balance everything? Yeah, how you balance everything out. And, um, I, I had thought about that over the, uh, the summer a lot, too. And I think that really the key to the subject bouncing everything out is Gordon Hayward. Okay. And in part because he is resting. He's taking a he's taking a, a little bit more time to progress than everybody else, considering, you know, the the like seriousness of how his injury was. Right. Because it seems as if he thought it could have been career-threatening at one point. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, he's slowly working his way back. And if you look at his numbers, sometimes he, he might have 14 points. Uh, and be efficient. Sometimes he might have somewhere like seven, eight points, and be four or twelve. Right. And that, and that's who Hayward is right now. But it, it, it actually works out for the Sucks because you know the ball gets to jump around to other players, the, the Tatum's and the Kyrie's and the Horfers. So as far as having that balance right now, they definitely can. And, and Hayward, besides the fact that you know he doesn't, he can't really be who he wants to be at this moment. Hayward's an incredibly intelligent player. Mm -hmm. And one thing about most glue guys, they can they can shoot. So his intelligence, his ball movement, his his ability to play multiple positions, and his shooting ability, the combination of those factors is what really makes him basically like a a, a star glue player mm -hmm. for other Celtics right now. And so I feel like he's going to be the key to them staying together for the long term period. Okay. But um, because I feel like he's the one that's going to be most willing to take the sacrifice. Like he's, he's going to want he. Him versus Kyrie, for instance, Kyrie Irving doesn't want to take the level of sacrifice that he like. If Kyrie had to score seven, six points multiple games in a row, he probably wouldn't feel comfortable in that situation. As a matter of fact, he brought up after the last game when he scored three points against the Pistons that he had developed a, a, a model for the season, which was be cool. And he basically was just saying that he's, he's in a position he's never been in before. And okay. saying that he finds it necessarily negative, but it, it's a it's a – it's a, you know, it's a, it's a new learning experience for him, and, and he's not necessarily comfortable with it yet. So, And then, so, you know what? Yeah. And I'm looking at Haywood's stats. Not bad from three. I mean, he's 36%, 40 from the field. He's getting a little bit mm -hmm. under 25 minutes. He's at 10 points, five rebounds. So to your point, and also when he was in Utah that one season when we saw Joe Johnson in the uh, playoffs, you know, he yeah. didn't have no problem kind of letting Joe Johnson close out games. So I agree. He's the ultimate glue guy. Um, were you worried yeah. what they start with their start early on? Because I kind of wasn't. I, I knew they was gonna have to kind of shake some things out. Were you were you concerned? Um, I wasn't concerned about their record. I okay. was more so concerned about honestly. The only thing I was concerned about was Brown's uh, early season struggles because um, I just seen him doing so much work with Trace mm -hmm. McGrady over the summer. You know, I just personally expected him to come out a little bit better. Okay. But to his credit, he had a bounce back game against the Detroit Pistons. Uh, in their, uh, um, I believe it was their sixth game of the season. And so, you know, he scored 19 points, which was his season high. And there's nothing stellar or anything in terms of, you know, the rest of the league. But for a, a second or a third year guy who's, um, who's really a piece of the puzzle, 19 points is, is a good little, you know, 
a point total for him. So I was glad to see him bounce back. But that was the only concern I really had about this start. And I knew that they would try to they had to try to mesh. Right. Um because like, you know, anybody that's played well any sport and probably but like particularly basketball, trying to get the trying to get the rhythm when yep. you have multiple great players yep. is, is is something that's difficult to, you know, find out because guys want their want the ball in this situation or that situation or they want it at the top of the key and and you know what I'm saying? So you have to find out where everybody fits and what works best. And so I knew that they would have a little bit of, of struggling because they didn't have Gordon Hayward all last year and Tatum didn't demand the ball like he does this year. So, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't too concerned um, either. I looked at their offense and I was li- reading with and listening to with Brad Stevens and I noticed the same thing. And we're seeing it across the league, and it's amazing. Everybody was talking about pace, 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 and I did my last podcast about pace. And your teams that are – most of the teams that are leading in pace are some of your worst teams right now. So playing fast doesn't mean yes. you're playing good basketball. And I kind of saw the Celtics early on not really getting to that second and third option sometimes in their offense. It was a lot of catch the ball and I got to do my own thing and get a rhythm. And I understand the, the preseason is a little bit different. You want to work on – some of your individual mm-hmm. stuff and game situations and all that. But I knew they was going to have to shake that out a little bit. Um, but, you know, that was kind of my last thing on the Celtics. I think they'll be fine. I think we're still on pace for the ultimate matchup between them and the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals, even though Milwaukee has looked good early on. But I wanted to kind yeah. of transition real quick uh, to this Cleveland thing because this is what we was dialoguing about. And as I had sure. shared with you on Twitter, my thinking was – and it's all valid points, and I've listened to a lot of different things. I just felt like when LeBron left, my sense of Cleveland, just how they operate, you, you, you go through these GMs, you go through these coaches, I kind of could feel like Tyron Lue may not be your ideal rebuilding type of coach. Not that he wasn't be capable of it, but he's kind of off that cloth of, I play in the league. I'm loyal to my veterans. We're going to kind of bring the young guys along, not completely, you know, bench them like, you know, Fibido in Minnesota, but kind of just have some balance there. So I personally thought, let's move off for Lou. Let's see what we can get for Love and possibly Smith if we can. I know that's almost impossible because of his contract. And, um, you know, kind of just start this over because the lottery this year, the, the draft is stacked again at the top. You draft Colin Sexton. You have Larry Nance Jr., who you locked up to a great contract because it goes down as the years go on. Um, why not see what Hill and Clarkson possibly Hill has left in the tank? Possibly Clarkson remain halfway competitive and then get ready for next year. So that was kind of what my thinking was. But you were saying how it wasn't that simple from that standpoint. And with you being in Cleveland, you I mean Akron, Cleveland area, you probably have a more sense of the fan base than I do. So what what was some of the thoughts you had on that? Um, well, I, I, I put it in perspective of, you know, cause I, I do on-site report and I go to Cavs games and whatnot. And so, uh, last year, uh, when I go to the Cavs games, you know, LeBron is, LeBron is the Cavaliers, uh, last year. So when, when people are coming to the Cavs games, they're, they're trying to see, you know, uh, something like they probably see once in a lifetime because it's LeBron's is larger than life superstar. And so of course, you know, the arena is filled out and everything, but when you go to the Cavs games this year, there's a. There's a lot of empty seats, and I did the math, and they've been having about sixteen thousand people, um, on average coming to the home games, and there's a uh, nineteen thousand 
like uh, there's a seat capacity of 19,000. So it's about 3,000 people that are, you know, missing. And when you do the math on that, it's almost, you know, uh, a fifth of, Mm -hmm. um, of, of the ticket holders that aren't coming to the games. So what I feel like is Altman, uh, already understood that was going to be the case. And so when he was talking about wanting to be competitive on the one hand, they did want to be competitive because, you know, uh, Nobody, no young player should really walk into a, a situation where the incentive—I mean, not the incentive—the the purpose is to lose games. Right. You know that doesn't. You know. Right. I, I mean, agree. of course, you can get your numbers up, but you're not building the, the the proper culture. So, on the one hand, I understood them wanting to be competitive from that sense, but I also know it had a lot to do with uh, the 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 entertainment factor. Okay. Like, do they feel like fans are going to come to the game? So, when they resigned Kevin Love, Kevin Love, even though he got a lot of uh, flack from the national media. And even in, in Cleveland, sometimes uh, Cleveland Cleveland fans, Cavs fans, really seem to appreciate the fact that he sacrificed so much when he came uh, from Minnesota. It like whether or not he's the same player that he was back then. Really, I don't think that matters to them as much as the fact that he's showing he has loyalty and uh, uh, just you know how fans are with, with their with their support. Right. Uh, so comparing love to LeBron, LeBron has left twice. And love is just a, a shining example of loyalty to them. So they so they appreciate him. And so when when uh, Altman resigned love, and he mentioned that his loyalty was one of the you know like one of the things that he really appreciated about him. Uh, like even Altman had a, a the sense of how the community will feel about love being like being resigned, and everybody was frankly in Cleveland was excited about it. Okay. okay. And um, as far as you know, players like Chetty Osman and, and Colin Sexton. Now Colin Sexton. Mind you, wasn't the wasn't the player that uh, wasn't the rookie pick that a lot of guys wanted because you know in this in this era everybody wants a, a a point guard who can shoot threes basically. At the end of the day, that's what they want the point guard to be able to do. Right. And Colin Sexton came into the league as one of those old school point guards. You know what I mean? Like like he'll he'll get up on you on defense. He'll attack the rim. He's not really a great three point shooter. So yeah, he's shooting fourteen percent right now from three. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> And like that's one thing about the reason they don't like they you know we're not gonna say they don't like Sexton but the reason that they that they wanted like guys like probably Luka Doncic but mm-hmm. outside of the Sexton pick uh, Chetty Osman Kevin Love uh, uh, a couple of other guys that they have on the team those guys are like real fan favorites Larry Nance my, I'm sorry I had his name slipped Larry Nance when they signed him to an extension it's in part because yeah he's a a great piece for a team you know as far as centers go you're not gonna find too many centers with his his versatility because he can. He can pass. He can dribble up the floor a little bit. Uh, he's not really a great rim protector, but he's really great at jumping passing lanes, which is really something that's unique among centers. Right. And and his father was a three-time All Defensive Player. And, you know, uh, he has he has those genes. And his father was a like a what you would call I guess you call a ring of famer for the uh, for the Cavs. Yeah. 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 And so um so yeah, I was gonna say he's a fan favorite. And so basically Altman's whole goal this this offseason to me seemed like on the one hand he did want to build a competitive team but more than anything he was trying to make sure these fans come back and want to keep supporting the team and uh you know i guess that's within the general uh general manager's job too so i completely understand that right but um as far as uh what they should have done in terms of just going all in one direction or the other i probably would have preferred that they they chose to go all in one way or the other because uh the whole big and limbo thing is like there's going to be a lot of changes that happen throughout the season if you if you're if you're in limbo. For instance, like, well, I didn't expect, honestly, I didn't expect Tyron Lue to get fired. Uh, yeah, this, I mean, that's why I wanted like to ask this, you this season, if anything. 
I thought that they were going to really just let him roll out this this season. Okay. And, and just let let whatever happens, you know, happens. But honestly, with hello, hello, yeah, yeah, I got you. You back? Oh, oh okay. I'm sorry. No, nah, yeah. you good? Uh, yeah. So yeah, my uh, my thing with Tyron Lue was his his issue. I mean, it was an issue that he wanted to play the veterans. Uh, in terms of the fact that the front office had just told him not to play certain veterans, but he did it anyway. <laughs> but I feel like, um, you know, he, he got a little bit of – he redeemed himself a little bit because of how Corver played. When, like, Corver's, uh he scored 21 points in uh, that first game. He really got off the bench, and uh, he was really the team's best player that game. I think they were playing the uh, the Detroit Pistons. Okay. Uh, yeah, so when, when Corver played that well against the Pistons, it kind of gave, you know, a little, little bit of a, of, a, of a reason to tell Altman and, and company that, you know, some of the veterans need to play. But it's guys like J.R. Smith, uh, for instance, that the, that the Cavs really were wondering why Lou was so loyal to. Because if you if you remember, last year everybody was, like, talking about how Smith's defense had felt basically falling off the cliff. Yep. Uh, and, uh, you know, his three-point shooting has been real streaky over the last couple of years. So like mm-hmm. the overall numbers look good, but he just doesn't. And he he'll have some great games, and then he'll have some terrible games, right? Like that. But um, but Lou's loyalty to Jr. was always based off of his performance in the finals in 2016, right? And uh, I was reading a piece the other day, and somebody was like, you know, it's 2018, and although you know, loyalty to a player is a great, a great, uh, it can be a great trait for a coach to have, actually. Uh, yeah, when you when you're loyal to a player for something they did three seasons ago, you know, and and what have you done for me lately? League is just it's just a bad combination. Yeah, so, and I felt like too last year, knowing how emotionally fragile I just say it like that. I'm not saying he's a weak person. Just he's a very emotional type of player. Yeah, I mean, he's sensitive. The, yeah, yeah, and to bring in Wade and everything that they did and the way they did it to me didn't help that situation. And to me. It shows sometimes with different organizations while why they don't have some of the issues that certain organizations have, like a Cleveland from that standpoint, because it seems like they're kind of tuned in a little bit better with their guys. But, you know, with as you said, with Lou, I thought they will ride it out, too. And all your big time insiders, it seems like all indications point that this was kind of shocking. You know, like letting yeah. them go like when they did, you know, and, and you're kind of confirming it because you have boots on the ground as well that nobody kind of saw this coming. And I thought the organization should have played Corver anyway, because if he can show that he can still play and shoot, that's a good trade piece um, yeah. during the yeah. season. And you're not necessarily losing a piece that's not going to keep you from being competitive. You're not using losing one of those major pieces. So to not even play and show what he has didn't even really make sense from that standpoint to me either. And it shows now that it actually might help them because he had another good game last night. Um, yeah. Hood Hood actually had a good game last night. And, you know, I was just looking at their contracts. Again, I understand Altman. It's going to be tough because I'm looking. Hill is going to make 18 next year. Thompson is at 18.5 next year. Smith is at 15.6. You still have Clarkson at 13.4. And in some cases, some of these contracts – like a Smith, Clarkson, and even Hill, you're not going to be able to move those numbers. So in a lot of ways, I agree, too. Um, you're kind of hamstrung, which tends to happen when you go all in for a championship yep. and having a player with LeBron. And it's like, and if that player leaves, 
you're trying to, you know, put pieces back together that don't necessarily fit in that puzzle. Very true. And really, you know, most of the guys that were brought over were brought to play with LeBron. And, and right. when you watch LeBron's style of play, uh, I really always like to compare, like, I always have to do a cross-sport reference. I always compare LeBron James to Peyton Manning. And, uh, yep. so, like, if people don't That's know how Peyton Manning was as a quarterback before the before the snap or before, you know, uh, the play would start, he would line up everybody in the proper positions, also the play calls and everything like that. Right. And that's who LeBron is. When he stands at the top of key and he's directing everybody around, that he's Peyton Manning right there. Yep. And so that's I see that every I see that every game. But when he does that, it's because he, he knows he's gonna drive and he needs to kick it to a, a three point shooter. Right. But they the Cavs didn't have any drive and kick players. Their right. fastest player or most most athletic player I should say is uh Jordan Clarkson probably. Uh, and even if you want to say Colin Sexton, one way or the other, either either Colin Sexton or Jordan Carson, they don't they don't have the drive and kick to the game yet because they don't have the court vision. Right. And uh, I really can't even say yet for Clarkson because he's about 26, 27. I think who he is is who he is as a player. Yeah, he but, is who you know, he is. That's not going. Yeah, but, that's not going to change. But Sexton, you know, Sexton has a chance to be better mm-hmm. with drive and kick. And actually, over the course of the season, he's been a lot better uh, with finding guys. And he's he's. I think he's got multi-assist games in his last three games. And, uh, you know, he Sexton's the type of guy he hears what the criticisms are, and he works on those criticisms. So similar to how I was talking about Jalen Brown. He hears exactly what he's supposed to work on, and he works on them rather than just focusing on his strengths. And I think that's one of the things that endeared the Cavs to him. Right. Because, I mean, on the one hand, Sexton does have, even though he's a rookie, he's 19, he, he has – he's not like most 19-year-olds. You know, when we were coming, there's a lot of 19-year-olds. That they like to have fun. They want to go out and party and play games and things like that. Sex is all business. Yep. And uh, besides his, you know, his, his demeanor, uh, he's been coached up by Avery Johnson, who was a longtime NBA point guard. He's uh, he's under the mentor, like he's a mentee. Or uh, Chris Paul is a mentor of his. You know, Chris Paul is a future Hall of Fame, uh, future Hall of Fame point guard. Right. And uh, so he has good guys, good veterans, good brains to pick in his corner. So really, when the Cavs selected Sexton, I saw what they were going with. They were going with the guy who, versus Doncic, because you know Doncic's game is predicated on his intelligence more than anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And players like that last for a long time, but when you can't really figure out if they're going to be able to keep up with the speed of the game, no matter how great they look, again, you trust me. Like I was one of the people that I understood exactly. Uh, the criticisms and the 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 pushbacks against the criticism when it came to Doncic. Right. Uh, but. But yeah, when you have a guy like Sexton who can who can last in the league for a long time, because you know the best athletes last the longest uh, a lot of the time. Yes, they uh, do. Like, and it's, you know, and it's really the guys who have the best combination of mental acuity and physical prowess who last in the league for 15 years or so. So they were probably looking at Sexton like that type of guy, a guy who has the ability to be a smart player, but also has the athleticism to last and be there for a long time. So that's that's one reason uh, you know I, I appreciated them picking him. But uh, back to you know, the offense and how it is now. Uh, guys like Hill, uh, Corver, and JR, for instance, uh, the, the, the veterans on some uh, on one year contracts uh, or the last year of the contract, so to speak. Uh, and I only say that about Hill and JR because next year the contracts are only partially guaranteed. But you said they're being, yeah. Uh, so I think together they make 33 million or something like that this season. And next year they make a total of. Uh, about five million guaranteed. Okay. Hill is only guaranteed one million next year, and um, Jared is only guaranteed about four million or something like that next year. Okay. And with the new okay. rule changes, with the new rule changes, 
uh, when you trade a contract, you only have to trade the partially guaranteed portion, like what to make salary message, uh, salary match. So for okay. instance, like this year to trade, you know, you know, they would have to make, they'll have to find somebody willing to take on the nineteen million dollars salary for next year. Just somebody who will willing, willingly take on one million, and one million dollars for uh, Hill was actually been having a, a pretty good year, That's to be honest. Bad. That's not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. Yep. Uh, like, and so I, I understood, like, and a lot of people think that Hill and Jr. were the guys that were going to be most likely to be moved. But I was looking at the contracts, I already knew how hard it was going to be to move guys like that, um, particularly Jr. Because um, even though he has a great reputation in Cleveland, he, you know, his his reputation never really fully recovered from his New York days. Correct. Um, and I was like, and you know, that last that game one incident in the in the twenty eighteen finals just really like reminded everybody of who he used to be as a player. Right. But um, so I was like, yeah, so I knew that really, uh, really definitely damaged his trade value. But uh, but Corver, I believe, is their most tradable piece because he's on an affordable contract, and he's while he. Is historically, you know, the fourth great, it's like fourth best shooter of all time in terms of he's made the fourth most threes of any player. Um, he's he's still doing, it. you know, he's still out there. He's still he's not he's not even just one of those guys. Kind of like Ray Allen or Rip Hamilton. He's in constant motion. He's uh, I wouldn't say he's in great shape, but he's in, in great shape for a 37 year old. You know what I mean? And and he's he's a veteran. And he comes to play. He comes to play hard. So. When Lou did mention that he wanted the guys, the younger guys, to learn from veterans, learn how they should play, Corbett was one of those examples. And I was like, yeah, he's a great example. Because also because he's not the most, you know, athletically gifted. And the Cavs, frankly, don't have a lot of great athletes. No, and so don't. they could look at Corbett on the court and see how he positions himself, his team defense, and, and, and how he constantly keeps in motion and see how they can be better themselves. So, like we said, with Corbett, he definitely should have got playing time. But it was when you were playing Smith who has been having uh, uh, up and down last two seasons. And I, I believe, uh, I'm, I'm really not sure what the percentages are, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure they're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty horrid, man. I'm pretty sure no, he hasn't been no, he, season. He, he's been atrocious, man. And I, I was one of those guys. I agree with you. I didn't think they would be out to get off the hill and Smith contract. I thought it'd be nice if they could, but I knew they wouldn't. Um, one yeah. last thing. And then I'll get you up out of here. What's been coming out too interesting is this Larry Drew thing. Where we are with that? Is it one of those situations oh. where he might say, I'm just not going to coach? Or is you it because see, no. he's under contract? Because I was trying to figure this out. I've never seen somebody take over the interim job and then ask for another contract unless this was something that was done behind the scenes and he's leaking it out. Because I found out he's already one of the highest paid assistants. He's making a million this year. So I don't, yeah. how is that going to play out? You see, I think with Larry Drew, what he's looking at, and for instance, you said how he gets one million at at Tyron Lue owed fifteen million, right? Uh, for being head coach, but because they fired Tyron Lue so early in the season, it's actually as if he's effectively like not an interim coach. You know what I mean? He's actually the head coach this season. I got uh, you. Because usually, interim coach really just has to do that job for it. Like for like Joe uh, Crunchy, for instance, for the Milwaukee Bucks last year. Right. He only had to do that. Right. He, he had to lead them in the playoffs. We didn't really have to do much uh, before or after that. Right. Uh, but. So I understand where Larry Drew is coming from with that because he wants, you know, long-term security as anybody, and especially in the business that uh, the NBA should want. But um, what I think the, the Cavs are doing right now is a little wait-and-see approach because uh, I don't know if you remember last year when Drew took over for uh, Lou after Lou had went out with, uh, you know, his health concerns with his chest pains and whatnot. Right. Uh, Drew took over. The team went 8-1. and one. I believe they had just – they were just on. Uh, they probably just went two and six in a few games before, or something like that. Mm -hmm. but, you know, they were riding like a five-game winning streak. They were. I they were remember that. Drew. Yep. And 
some of the players that, for instance, Hood, uh, when Lou was a coach, I always look at Hood uh, when Lou was coaching, and I noticed that Hood essentially does a lot of things uh, in terms of how he's positioned on the court. He's essentially like a Ray Allen when, when, when Lou was a coach. He really would just keep Hood in the corner, you know, for the floor space and benefit. Right. But he really wouldn't be a direct, you know what I mean, like a direct recipient of any actual passes. Uh, that were supposed to come to the corner. And that's something that started happening with Ray Allen in those last couple of years, and one of the reasons that, you know, Ray Allen actually had a falling out with the Celtics because he felt like they were being, like, he was being freezed out. Right. Um, but, but um, yeah, so Lou versus Drew, when Drew uh, was coaching the Cavs last year, he would have put in motion, and and, and he would give him the ball. He would, he would give him the, the autonomy to make decisions. But I didn't see that under Lou, for real. Uh... And Even I saw year, that when I was doing after my... After he said that he wanted him to be the second option, Right. Chetty Osmond had a great game in that first game, and they made Chetty Osmond the second option. Uh, Chetty <laughs> Osmond the second option that second game. Right. And I saw I that like, in so, your interview you had with Hood, how he was mentioning Utah and reflecting, and, and yeah. I was able to think about his game. He was a guy that used in a lot of dribble handoffs, catching the ball on the move, being able to kind of low-key create a little bit. He was He was okay at it. He was solid at it. But he's yeah. more of a guy that, to get a rhythm, he's one of those players that has to have the ball in your hand. And that's why playing with LeBron sometimes can be d- tough. Everybody can't just go stand in a corner and then we throw in the ball. Okay, now do something with it. You know, a lot of players yeah. have to have some type of rhythm, some type of feel in the game. And I saw a little bit of the highlights last night. And to your point, that's what Drew had Hood doing last night. So, you know, it definitely yeah. bodes well for Hood going forward as long as Drew is in there at the helm. Yeah, I was like, and I think those type of things are why Altman, uh, you know, chose Drew over Lou as well. Because Drew, I mean, not just Hood, of course, but Drew really challenged. That's one thing he was mentioning yesterday when uh, before before the game and his pressure. He wants to challenge players to to be not just better than what they are, but challenge them to be good in areas that they're not usually good at. Okay. So, for instance, we can talk about Hood, and he, you know, he's a, a decent playmaker, but I think he had something like three assists last night. Uh, and there was a lot of guys that had three assists, but, but again, Drew puts puts players in position to have to challenge themselves, and even pass to his, uh, his his passing, his defense, for instance. So that really is an area of his game that he really wasn't known for. Uh, Drew challenged Hood to be a great, uh, a better defender at least, and you know Hood got a few steals in the passing lanes, and that was pretty good to see. But he also challenges guys like uh, Clarkson and, and Sexton. Uh, so we started talking about guys playing fast. He challenges them to play fast, but not in a hurry. And right. that's the thing that both of them, both of them kind of struggle with, to be honest with you, uh, especially Jordan Clarkson, in my mind, because I, I feel like he's kind of like a Tasmanian devil. He's like, you remember the old cartoons? Like, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's, always, in, he's always in a rush. Yeah. Like, and, I, and, I, and I, I, you know. Uh, it's almost like he's a poor man, poor man's version of Westbrook at times, where yeah. these guys just play extremely hard and you applaud that. But at some point, and I played point guard when I played. At some point, you got to be able to to make some decisions and think and slow down and be yeah. able to process information and make the right. It's not enough to just be going hard and playing playing hard. And he's one of those players that frustrates you because he has all the physical tools, but he's lacking the the mental side. The mental tools, yeah. yes, yeah. So, oh, and actually, speaking of, to your point about Clarkson, uh, something I had found interesting. I hadn't looked at the line of data today, but um, before last game, even though. <laughs> You know, Clarkson is the, the team's second leading scorer. Uh, I think he's averaging 16 points a game now, but it was like 16.4 before last night. Uh, 
he's been one of their more efficient players uh, from the field in general. But um, there's only one. Maybe uh, there's, I think there's I think there's seven lineups within uh, that are net negatives. You know, they're being outscored, and there's only two lineups with him in it that are net positives. And okay. I feel like for a player that's so efficient and scores so well, that's a, a pure sign that he's not actually helping the rest of the team around him. Exactly. Exactly. That's when sometimes, again, I think you don't, you know, shun advanced stats. I think that's where advanced stats can kind of help you get really behind the numbers because sometimes you can look at the points and even the field goal percentage and then you're like, oh, okay. But then when you really look at the numbers, well, how is this really affecting the team on the court? How is this affecting wins? And he's a classic mm-hmm. player like that. So, man, yeah. I don't want to uh, take too much of your time, man. I, I thank, thank you. Thank you for hopping on with me, man. This was oh, great. Sure. Um, I got your number. You got my number. Maybe this is something we can do as the season continues to go along. Uh, I'm going to you know, close it up real quick. As, as you've been listening, folks, this has been Quentin Alberti. Again, you can find his work over at Cavs Nation Net at Clutch Points. He writes for the Celtics Wire that can be found on USA Today. And if you want to just get a little bit more about his work, man, he has a lot of great pieces. I was looking at last night. You can go to wakelet.com, type in his name. His work will pop up. He's a he's down there in Cleveland. He got his boots on the ground. Uh, thanks for your insight today, Quinn, man. And I really enjoyed this. Um, so uh, we're going to be signing off right now. Uh, thanks for listening to another episode of the Off the Glass podcast. Again, make sure to follow your boy at ZJ at Off the Glass on Twitter. Instagram is ZachOffTheGlass.com. The, Instagram, uh, the fa- Facebook, excuse me, fan page is OffTheGlass.com. Last but not least, check out the website, www.TheOffTheGlass.com. While you're there, make sure you grab your T-shirt. We got some merch over there as well. And again, if you want to pass the word, we're on all the listening platforms. Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple iTunes, and the host site is Freaker. This is your host, Z, signing off. Everybody stay safe out there. Peace. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your lawn and garden in shape. We do it right, too, with deals to help you save every day, like four bags of premium mulch now for just $10. And buy one one one-and-a-half cubic foot bag of miracle Grow vegetable and herb garden soil. Get a Bonnie Basics plant for free. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 5-1 while supplies last. Bonnie offer valid on select 11.8-ounce pots. Valid in-store only. See store for details. U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your lawn and garden in shape. We do it right, too, with deals to help you save every day, like four bags of premium mulch now for just $10. And buy one one one-and-a-half cubic foot bag of miracle Grow vegetable and herb garden soil. Get a Bonnie Basics plant for free. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 5-1 while supplies last. Bonnie offer valid on select 11.8-ounce pots. Valid in-store only. See store for details. U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii.